thrilled to talk about this wonderful subject. You know, as an overall thing, I don't think there's anything that I ever teach that has uh, meant more to me on just my personal life. Now, you understand, you know, there are certain things you can teach as a minister that helps you. And about ministry to other people, that's a little different. That's part of it, of course, it fits in the covenant or it wouldn't be valid. But everything you do should fit in the covenant or it's not valid. <laughs> I realize that. But uh, not valid scripture. But as a person, as a believer, as an individual that's walking with God or doing, doing my best to walk with him, I've made mistakes. But no, I can't think of a subject that's affected me more than this one as far as learning that I have a father that's committed to me. Totally 110% sold out to my betterment. And to responded to me in a myriad of situations over the years that I've needed him to. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 18. We're we'll starting with that tonight. That's what I tried to do this morning, but didn't, didn't get to that till the end of the service. We're talking about blood covenant, a covenant that has to do with our covenant with God. We are new covenant believers. We're not old covenant people. Now, that doesn't mean the old covenant's invalid for its part in the scriptures. It's God put it in the Bible, and men of God moved as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost to pen those things. But I'm not living under the Levitical priesthood. I'm in the royal priesthood of the New Testament. I'm not under Aaron. The high priest of the Old Testament, just one of many, you know, they died off. They had put new men. But we've got one today named Jesus, and he's the high priest of this covenant, and he's never going to die. And so this is the royal priesthood, Peter tells us, that we're in. Now, if you don't understand some of these terms, just let me talk to you. And as we, we won't get it all taught tonight. It'll take several more weeks to get this in us. But you'll begin to see that you're in a covenant with God, and you're in the new covenant it's cut with the blood of Jesus. You're never told to shed your own blood, but Jesus shed his blood in our behalf, and he cut the covenant, him and the Father, and we got into the covenant through Jesus Christ, because Jesus is and was a man. See, this is a, it's, it's not controversial if you just understand your Bibles. But if you don't let him be a man, then, you, then what I'm teaching you will just go right off of you. You'll never get a hold of it because you'll think that somehow that doesn't pertain to you. And I, you're going to be surprised if you don't get this before you get there. When you get to heaven, Jesus is a man. He's walking around, you know, in heaven as a man. He's got scars in his body, but the glory's running through him now. And, and he's a man. If we could see him, you know, it's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's sitting there as a man representing the body of Christ. Hallelujah. It's interesting. But anyway, we're talking about covenant, and we're looking at some of these. Let me say something else before I get any further. Sometimes we will read a passage of Scripture. I will read one or tell you to look at something with me. And it may not have every element of the covenant listed in a particular text. And, and what I mean by that is, there, you know, depending on you how you slice and dice. I may know that term. Some people say there's eight steps. Some say there's nine. I don't care if there's four or 27. It, it, that's irrelevant. It, it's the fact that when they're cutting a covenant, if you see them even moving towards some of this, that they've proceeded to do a covenant ceremony of some sort that contained everything that was needful to cut that covenant, even if it's not stated. 
sins. 
things you turn away from and say, you're not going to do that no more and plead the blood. But you're not beating yourself up to do that. Jesus already, he took the price for that. See, you see, see, when you start thinking covenant, everything's really clear. In some places, even in New Mexico, they get shard glass and rope and beat their backs and bloody their backs, and they do that in Latin America, all over the place, Peru and everything. And it's a combination of Mayan culture and the Incas and all kinds of tribal people that lived out in the bush somewhere and decided this would be a good idea, let's do that. And this added in stuff. But here's my point. All of it has some form in the back of their thinking of covenant. I went to the Copan Ruins. How many know what that is down in Honduras? It's a world-famous place where they worship, uh, you know, they worship the sun, the moon, the jaguar. They call it the jaguar. But uh, they had all kinds of And they, they killed people there, sacrificed them. Brilliant people. The Mayans were super intelligent, intellectual. Oh, my gosh, they had astronomy figured out before, you know, we even thought about it. Right down to the days and the minutes and all. It's just, it's just a staggering thing for your brain to think about. But I was there. There was such an odd spirit in that whole. It's a huge the monuments and, and, and different things. And I remember we came upon this tree, and, I, and it reminded me of Dr. Somerall because he told about a tree he saw in Africa like that witch doctors came, did different things, and left their bodies and went somewhere and put sickness on people. It was just wild. Anyway, I saw this tree. It was all black, not one leaf. It wasn't even beige or green. It was nothing. It's a black tree. It's about, oh, about as big around as that piano. And about 70 foot tall. And all gnarled up. Its branches all looked like it had arthritis. I said, I bet you they worship the devil here in this tree. <laughs> I'm glad I'm under the blood. <laughs> And we went and walked up some of the uh, pyramid type of structures they had. They had all kinds of elaborate stuff there. And, sacrific- and I hired an English guide and paid him extra $25 to talk to us so we'd understand what they were saying. Because he was part Mayan from his culture, so he knew what they did there in the history. And it's all weird. But it had to do with covenant. They were cutting covenant with their gods, which was devils, sacrificing their children and all kinds of strangeness. So this, when we study the Bible covenant, it's always to promote life, always to heal life, always to heal and bring people into reconciliation with God and bring people into hope and bring people into the power of God. But I've described some of those things to show you why other cultures are so just adamant. They would rather die than be converted until they realize who the real Jesus is. Father of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great Father God, the Creator. <laughs> and so we, we look through here, and sometimes you read stuff in the Old Testament, you go, man, that's the oddest thing I ever read. And it, it had to do with some kind of a blood-associated thing. So anyway, hope you're getting something. I'm just giving you some, some interesting insight into this. It's hopefully it'll help you. And now here we said this morning, again, this sounds pretty intense, because here's good David with Goliath's head in his hands that had been severed from his shoulders. He's running down the battlefield with this guy's head in his hands. I mean, he's a really tough guy, you know, David. And he brings it to the king. I don't know that the king asked for his head, but David brought it. And the, and the king said, well, who is this young little, this trapping kid? It was his teenager. He's 17 years old at the time, roughly. And 
Saul said, verse 58 and 17, uh, Who are you? Whose young man are you? And he said, I'm the son of this, your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now you begin to see here that the mentality, and you just uh, let me talk to you for a second. Here's a young man, 17 years old. He's a sheep tender. <laughs> He's not a gladiator or something. But when he got on the battlefield and he saw Goliath come out and taunt the armies of the living God, you can imagine some of the things he said put them down. You're big. You think you're bad. Come take me. If you can take me, you can have the whole army. Any one of your guys, bring them on. And they're all hit out in foxholes. And here's the kings. King Saul, who once at one time had been a valiant warrior, but he's hiding too. Who's going to handle this giant of a man? And here comes David. David said, well, you know, somebody, he said, well, he, he spoke up and said, what, what, what do you get for killing this big guy? you get so much of this and that, you get tax-free the rest of your life. That had motivated him. You get the king's daughter, you can have her. I don't know if he should have got her or not. She wasn't much help. But anyway, moving right along. <laughs> and, and he said, went to the king and said, I'll take him. And the king looked at him and said, well, you're, <laughs> it's commendable you feel like that. I'm reading between the lines here, but you're just a young sheep tender, aren't you? Aren't you Jesse's boy? That, you know, he didn't know he was Jesse's boy right then, but you brought some cheese and crackers for my troops. Some, some bottled water, you know, he'd be on or something. Anyway, I'm making that part up. But he did bring some cheese and crackers or something. And uh, he said, uh, well, I killed a bear. And I killed a lion when they came to steal my sheep. I took on those because I got a covenant with God. I'll take him down for you. Well, that impressed the king. I mean, you know, I remember David when he, uh, later on when he became, of course, he was just a tremendous warrior. Do you know when David and his mighty men were in covenant, ain't nobody touch him. One guy slew 800 men in one day. A man slew it. I think it was 800, 600, or 800 by himself. What kind of guys were these? I mean, you know, David went by somebody one day, and, you know, like all us preachers, we get ridiculed. Somebody threw some dirt at him, cussed him out a little. The vice, he said, let me go take his head off for you. David said, that which sort of way. He just, he just misinformed, don't let him but he could have took his head off been glad to have done it. These guys were rough and tough, and they were covenant people. What I'm trying to show you is, see, see when, when Goliath got eliminated, the, the king was so indebted to this young boy. And here's what I want you to see. He saw a covenant mentality at that point. Now, before we get out of chapter 18, he's David's enemy for the rest of his life. Because David starts getting promoted and he's jealous. If you want to tear up your covenant, just get jealous of somebody that has more than you. Somebody that Pastor Jacobs promotes more than you. You try to promote yourself in my church without my endorsement, you're going down, baby. Not because I'm going to put you down. God will take care of you. I mean, I can talk to you, though. Believe me, i got your phone numbers. But I'm just I'm not warning you. I'm just telling you how this covenant works. And so really, when you start to think about it, though, David would have been Saul's best ally for the rest of his life. And the guys that followed David, they came to him. They were in debt. They were in distress. They were discontented. He formed them into the most elite army of the day. You talk about SWAT personified. 
you talk about the Israeli Secret Service personified, you know, they're some of the roughest people in the world, Israelis. You want to take them on? They blow you off the map. And it's coming. There's some stuff coming. Anyway, praise the Lord. They just might do a preemptive strike on some country real soon. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Tell us you're going to build weapons and blow us up. We might just visit you first. Peg, you're it. You was, but you ain't. Anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, this is all covenant mentality going through this situation here. There's the king. There's his son, Jonathan, the prince. And he sees David's loyalty. He sees David. My God, he must know the God of Jehovah to do something like this. The whole army was there. Some of, some of Saul's best men, and they wouldn't take on this giant for nothing. And here's a man full of faith in the middle of fear. Here's a man full of boldness and full, with surrounded by people intimidated. What kind of guy is he? He's a covenant guy. And when he says to the Philistine, you uncircumcised dude are going down. He didn't look under his skirt that he had on to see what was going on. He meant you do not have a covenant. you got a covenant with some God, but I'm going to show you my God is the true God. You're going down. <laughs> I don't think anybody believed it, but David, but David didn't care. God believed it. God got in there with him in that deal. Full with his people. That's what he said. He said, I'll show you there's a God in Israel. In other words, the God of Israel is going to get involved in this. <laughs> you know, you've not tuned yourself up here. Uh, so anyway, here it says in verse, uh, it says, the, the soul of Jonathan, verse 1 of 18, verse Samuel 18, 1, was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, David, and would not let him go anymore home to his father's house. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now, you've got to understand all this is covenant mentality. He took him into his own house. He's the king of the country. You know, the king, <laughs> you know, he's not driving a Kia. And if you drive a Kia, don't get offended. I think they're pretty nice-looking cars. My daughter-in-law has one. No, but, I mean, you know, he's the king. You know, get a hold of some of this with your mentality here. When the king brings you in, when Jesus brings you into his house, you're a different deal. I mean, you know, remember, what's their names, William and Edward, or what's those boys' names from Queen Elizabeth? Harry and William. I got one of them right. I don't think when they got old enough to think about their future, they ever thought, boy, I hope I can go to college. I hope I get a car someday working over here at Fish and Chips. They don't think that way because they're a part of the household of the queen and the royal family. And you, your royal priesthood, this should start, you know, any, any day now I think you're going to, well, somebody's going to shout out and say, So uh, here, he, when, when it says that, and here's another thought. 
don't mess your brothers and sisters over if you're in covenant with them. I've just with somebody recently, and somebody trying to sue them about something. They said, I'm not going to take them to court because if I take your brother to court, I'm just going to take the loss and go ahead and pay them, even though the other person's wrong. They have the church don't even believe like that anymore. You see how far we've drifted from we got. We, I'm going to hire a smarter lawyer and a meaner lawyer to break this thing up. I'm not only going to get your car, I'm going to get your clothes, I'm going to get your wife, I'm going to get your house, get the tires on your car. See, that's the way that half the church is thinking. And that's so foreign from covenant. If you let God be your defense, he'll take care of you, my friend. Hallelujah. Somebody loves you as their own soul. That's pretty serious. You know, and this is the way we should begin to think in terms of covenant, that we're in covenant with God, and first of all, and then our mates and our, our intimate family, and then one another in the body of Christ. We're in this covenant together. We're not in here to mess one another over. You know, if you come in here trying to sell your stuff, you're wrong. If I know about it, I'll let you know. You're wrong. Come in here selling your Avon, your this and that. Now, if you're friends and you get together for lunch and you're getting, oh, you sure look pretty. What's that, Ken? And somebody says, what products do you use? And you have to carry that. That's one thing to talk. But you don't come in here and lay cards down on chair. If I find out, I'm going to make you eat them. Get people in the foyer telling you want to sell them products on product you got. That's not what the church is for. You do that outside of here. This is for people to come in here and get acclimated to one another in a covenant, not take advantage of one another. There's nothing wrong with having a friend and buying something from one, but you understand the difference. The motive there has to be right. Hallelujah. So we just need to understand that. And people need to love one another as their own soul and not be taking advantage of somebody, you know. There's so much politicking in the church. <coughs> Makes me want to throw up. Hallelujah. So Jonathan and David, verse 3, made a covenant. You guys are making me draw this out. Because he loved him as his own soul. So evidently you can't really have a good covenant unless you begin to feel like that. Here's another thought. I'm just going to throw this in for all, all the people who go to work every day and work for somebody. You should be in a covenant, some level of a covenant with your employer. Now, if he's you know, illegal or immoral or asking you to do something unethical, illegal or immoral, you shouldn't do it. You should just quit or confront him or both or turn him in. But the point I'm making is you should be the, you should be the top of the top when they think of you out on the plant floor or out in the ditch digging or whatever it is you do. They ought to think integrity and non-compromise, and you're one of the you're you're in the top three of the best employees they have. They couldn't do without you. And when your employer says, "Hey, I, I really need you," and you know I don't like to do this, but I need you to stay over a couple hours, then your first thought isn't overtime. Your first thought is, "I want to help this man or this company because they gave me a job when I didn't have one." Or even worse, you didn't have any education to even figure out what to do, and they took you in and showed you how to do whatever it is you do. And gave you money to do it. Maybe put you with somebody to learn to do it. See, this is the reason we got all this gimme, gimme, gimme stuff in America. Everybody's wanting a free ride. You cannot be married and keep having babies, and the government's going to help you. They're going to fund that for you. And what 
they're funding this a lot of problems. Not just the immoral part, that's another issue, but what kind of thing you're producing because there's no fathers. Oh, I could play with that a little. I'll play that for another time. In Jonathan, verse 4, this is where we tried to end up today a little bit. And Jonathan stripped himself. And you ought to make a note of that. He stripped himself. David said, give me that nice-looking coat you got on, Prince Jonathan. And you know, being at the, being at the, uh, the king's house and things like that, he had very nice outer garments and any kind of garments he had were the best. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and his bow and his girdle. And all that really means is he he emptied himself of, you know, his identity. You know, a sheep herder doesn't wear a prince's coat out around sheep and manure and grass and rocks. Try to find a lion dressed up. He's a shepherd boy. But here was the prince, and he took off his garment and said, Here, I'm identified with you. You are, you and I are one now. Everything I have, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into covenant with you, and you and I are one. Everything I have is yours. But he, notice David didn't rip it off of him. He gave that. And then he took his armaments, whatever they were, it's listed some here, but just let your mind go wild out here. Whatever armaments he had, his bow and things, and stay, his girdle was the thick, the, the, the thick belt that held up all of his armament for fighting, which means I will defend you to the death. When it comes against you, they come against me. And I will defend you with my life if need be. That's what he was saying. I got to doing some studying in this. It's real interesting on this uh, this verse here. And one translation said he gave David his equipments. And, uh, and, and I got looking that up some in the dictionary and some other things around. And I found it's like if you had an ocean liner, I saw a show on this a while back, ocean liner. And I cannot tell you the amount of fish and meat and stuff and, and, and vegetables they put into that ship that probably holds 1,500 people to go on a six-month cruise. Of course, they, they go into ports and restock. But what, what it was saying was about in relationship to this verse, that's like being fully equipped with everything you need. You know, if you're on a ship, they got a ship's doctor, and they got swimming pools, and they got restrooms, and they got food galore, and they got shows, and they got bowling alleys, and they got... On and on we could go. I've never been on a cruise. Don't want to go. But the point I'm making is that's a self-contained thing because you're out in the middle of the ocean. They got lifeboats if it gets in trouble. They probably got somebody's got some weapons on there, some security people if something gets out of hand. And, and they got the food galore, and they got the sheets, and they got the water, and they they just got all kind of purification systems on those boats today. And just on and on I could go. Top-notch chefs. Don't even think about it. <laughs> we need you here. No, I'm teasing. Now listen, now listen, this is what this is saying. When you get in covenant with God, He is saying, I've got everything that you would ever need at, at your deployment. If you need it, and I have it. Everything. From your defense to your health to your well being to the soundness of your mind. To everything you could ever want or imagine, I'm giving that to you in this covenant. I don't know why we ever boiled it down to you get to go to heaven. Now, you understand what I'm 
I'm saying here, that's why I'm not putting down going to heaven. But if that's all it is, you're going to go to heaven and live like you know the other place on the earth. That don't sound like a great deal right now. When you look at covenant from God's perspective, He came, really, He came to put heaven in us down here on earth. He came to bring heaven to earth for the people who would receive it in covenant with Him. I know we should be concerned for humanity, and I'm all for uh, uh, adequate social programs to help people. If you're going to live like the devil, we're not going to fund your unbelief forever. And if you're going to serve all these weird gods and perverted gods, we're not going to fund that forever. We shouldn't be thinking that way. We love people, but but what people really need to get out of all that weirdness of whatever sort it may be. And I mean, man, I... You know, they need the truth. That's what's going to help them. And and so, now, it doesn't say it, but listen, David did the same thing. He stripped himself and said, okay, this is my coat. I'm sorry, it's a little smelly, but no, I'm sure he didn't say that because that was who he was. But I give it to you. And it's evident he already killed a lion and a bear, and the guy just dropped the guy's head on the ground, so he knew he was a pretty good brother to have around. Get in trouble, guy can take on a ten foot giant. I guess he's pretty pretty sufficient. Hallelujah. And and so we see a covenant starting to take place. And we talked this morning, and I won't go back there in, in Esther, about how Mordecai put on sackcloth and ashes, which is garments of depression and sadness, and mourning and woe. Woe is me. Nobody understands me. You know, I don't know. My parents are gone now, and da 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 da. I'm not making fun, but I'm making fun a little bit. Get over that self-pity. If you're in the covenant, you got everything I got. You got I got everything you got. We, we're in the, there's no respect for persons with God. I know it. maybe you had a hard deal here or had to have something. Different. I don't know. But get over that feeling sorry for yourself. I mean, God Almighty is your Father. You're going to tell me or some other human being to listen to that unbelief? You don't understand. When God Almighty that created the universe and knows where all the stuff is that we need on this planet, we're going to mope around and crawl in the grass like little babies all of our life, never realizing we had it made all the time. Hallelujah. Now listen, I'm going to say this. I may didn't mention this before, and then I want to get into some specifics tonight with you about what got traded when we got into Christ. But uh, I know that he got the small end of the stick. You may know that term. I mean, I'm thinking, that God, I remember the day night I got saved. I said, oh, Lord, I, and this is what I said to him. Uh, first I said, oh, Lord, do I need to go forward? I don't know. I grew up in Baptist church. He said, well, you know about me. They sure taught you something about me, but you don't know me. And you come tonight, and I'll put your life together. And then I, my next thought was, and this all went on internally in me. Well, Lord, I don't got anything to offer you. I'm just a burnout drug addict. I barely have my own blue jeans and boots and flannel shirt. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think all that then. I mean, I didn't say everything I'm going to say now, but, you know, I'm thinking, what do I got to offer God? And he never even responded. He just said, come forward tonight, give your life to me tonight, I'll put you together. But you know, he has. And I know sometimes you think, you know, 
Even somebody after the service today said, I appreciate you saying how much God needed me because he said, I went through a period where I thought God doesn't need me anymore. I'm X amount of years old and I haven't, I don't, I may, yeah, I'm reading some things that maybe he thought he had achieved everything he should have by then and done everything he should have accomplished by then and, and how important am I to God? Hey, you're everything to God. You're everything. He cannot come down here and walk among men anymore. He's already crossed over that line. He's on the other side, but his body can do his business down here. You know what I mean? Preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and preach this gospel. And if you don't do it, ain't nobody going to. If he didn't do it, then he'd have to go to somebody else. And if they didn't do it, yeah, you see what I mean? So you're valuable to God. He needs you. I said to him, oh, I don't know what i got to offer you. He didn't, he didn't act like it faced him a bit. I mean, of course, I'm just an infant kid. I'm just a, I said, I'm burnt out drug addict. I said, my mind is scrambled. My body's burnt. I feel like I'm 50 years old already. Actually, I said, I feel like I'm 49. I don't know why I picked 49. And I was only 21. But I said, I, I'm tired of living like this. He said, just come on up here tonight and give your life to me. When the preacher, and the preacher was up there giving the invitation. When he gets done talking, you come up and stand up there with those teenagers. Whoever comes up, you come up with them. All right. I did, and he did. You know, and he's never put me down. I mean, what I mean is he never said, well, you know, and I got saved, and then, and, and then maybe I, I didn't do everything exactly right. You know, like I got saved, I was still smoking dope. I know you're shocked. And I was got saved, and I was still drinking alcohol and running around a little bit, partying because that was my lifestyle, my body, my mind. They wanted to do that, but my spirit was reborn that night. And when I did those things, and did them for a little bit, oh, man, I was under such conviction. You cry all the way home from the party. You, how many are listening to what I'm saying? But even at that, God never put me down. So well, I can't use you. Forget it. No, he just kept working with me. He kept loving me. He saw something in me I didn't even see in myself. So before you go down your trail of why you're no good the next time and why God doesn't need you and why you're not somebody else, that's a biggie. Think about what I'm saying and think about what I'm teaching, that God needs you. And I like to say this, there's nobody more important than anybody else. We have different levels of responsibility. I said, well, I want to be a preacher. Well, you know, I don't know if you're called to be that or not, but if you're going to be a preacher when you get to heaven, you're going to have to stand in that line and get judged for what you said from the pulpit. And judged on a different level because you were in a different class. Not that you were more important. It's just that that was your responsibility on a different level, so you're going to have to see what I'm saying. But all of us are important. Think about what God's coming and He's reaches out to us and brings us in, takes care of us, loves us, believes in us, Kim. Hallelujah. I hope you're listening to me. You are valuable to Him. You are important to Him. Your life is important to Him. Your future is important to Him. I don't care if you're if you're 80 or you're 80. You're important to Him. Or younger or older, you know, whatever. You're, you're in this covenant. But we read this morning in Esther how she sent those clothes to get uh, Mordecai out of that morning, poor old me, they're going to kill all the Jews. What are we going to do? Oh, my gosh. And it says the queen or the church 
said, here, take these garments, put these on, this will help you. I'm going to give you some in just a minute that you can put on tonight. It's up to you. If you don't put them on, it's not because they're not available. You go out of this building, you say, oh, that's a nice message. Pastor Jacobs taught us. That's not a message. It's a lifestyle. It's up to you to live in it. You don't put it on, I'm not going to put it on you. Your wife won't put it on you. Your husband can't put it on you. Your kids can't put it You know, I can pray and believe God to some level for people under my care, but I can't do the whole deal. So it said she sent these clothes. That was in Esther 4. You remember 1 through 4? And and, and Mordecai refused to take it. Let me help get you out of your depression, your, your funk. It's an intellectual funk, some habits that are funky, some mindsets that are not right. You're going to have to receive it tonight or stay where you're at or go backwards. See, in these days, let me just say something about covenant. You, I don't know if you'll get it or not. I mean, you know what I mean? You can get it, but I mean, in culture, some cultures today, uh, you cut covenant with some people, and, and if you violate that, they're going to hunt you down and kill you. But we don't do that here in America, and we don't, we're not going to do it as a church. We're not into killing people. We're into helping people. But I wanted you to see how serious it is in cultures that understand that. When you covenant with another tribe that you're going to do that, and it's say we've got one tribe that's weak, one's weaker and one's stronger, and this is, this is the tribe that's a war tribe, and you're a warrior, and this tribe gets in trouble, and you say, I'm going to go sit on the hill and smoke dope. I'm not going to come help fight. They're going to hunt you down slit your throat. And if they can't find you tomorrow, they're going to put some people on it until they do find you if it takes four generations. They'll hunt down your kinfolk because you violated the most sacred thing we know anything about. Now get hold of this. Well, I don't like this kind of talking, Pastor. It just sounds so violent. Well, go to Agape Church. We're we're sure glad you came. God bless you. Go home, love your wife, be a nice person. And go out uninformed, uninstructed. Not knowing how to be a husband, not knowing how to be a believer, not knowing how to put on the garments you need, but just trying to figure it out. That's what most churches are preaching. A lot of numbers and no fruit. I grew up in church. I, they had covenant. I didn't even hardly know how to spell it. And English was my best subject, believe it or not. <laughs> All right. You up a bit. I got you on the mat. You look like you're saying, Ouch. We're not going to send somebody to get you, okay? We're not going to put a contract on you. But you know, listen, I want to be fair to say I've, I've saw this in my lifetime, and you can say whatever you want. You better just keep it to yourself, and I'm going to be honest. I've seen people come in here, and I loved them and poured my life into them and went to their home, took weapons away from them before they shot each other. Prayed for their babies. Prayed for their rebellious teenagers. Went to hospitals. Got them through all kinds of tragedies. For them to call me because they got offended over some little old minor nothing. And tell me I don't love them. And go out of this church and within three years be divorced. Their kids are dead, some of them. Their kids are on dope. Been married three times. Living down at the trailer park. Dancing in clubs, taking their clothes off. 
And don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. When you violate covenant and you just act like it means nothing, it's so light to you and fluffy, and you don't esteem anything like that that I'm talking about, you're in some serious, you're in some trouble. You, I can't even tell you in English what kind of trouble you're going to confront. It's not because I'm mad. I ain't prayed against the one of them. Some of them I pray for them to come back and get right. I'm still waiting. There's the door. People are sincere. I've received their, their, their uh, apologies. They won't get in the same position they had, but I've received their apology. I've given my best to feed them and love them and restore them. Well, thank you for your enthusiasm. You don't, I don't know if you even understand what I just said. I could give names and phone numbers and addresses of the over. I'm not talking one family. I'm talking 30, 40, 50 families. And Paul, you've been with me a long time. Some of those people aren't even on the planet today. They already went on. Because they violated the precious covenant of God. Not just against me, but against God and God's principles. You cannot take lightly that somebody cares about you and loves you and pours their life into you walk away like it means nothing. That, that's just, that's insanity. You're not even going to find a handful of people on this planet that genuinely love you. I hope you realize that. A lot of people say they love you. They don't mean they love you. They love what you can do for them. They love what they think they can get from you. They, they love you because they think they can get promoted. And just like this tribe over here, when I really needed them, they went on the hill and smoked me concerned about my well-being or care about anything going on over here. I'm just taking care of myself. Well, that's not covenant. They might have been churchianity, but it wasn't Christianity. And sure as God wasn't blood covenant. <laughs> and that guy took his coat off. It wasn't just a casual thing, man. He knew he was committing. And even when his own father, Jonathan's dad said, I'm going to kill that man. I am going to send my SWAT team on them. I'm going to sick the baddest people on him until we... You know, take care of David. Jonathan said, went and met with him privately and said, if I do this, you'll know this is a sign. You can run and hide, do whatever you need to do. Because I'm committed to you, sir. This is my father in the natural, but I'm committed. I'm in covenant with you. See, this gets sticky, doesn't it? Now, we, we don't preach here. We're not a cult that tells you you have to forsake your parents. Love your parents. Do your best to love them. Now, you, you're not to do what's wrong. If they want, but you should love them and respect them to the degree you can. But listen, you're in a covenant with Almighty God, and if you're really here, I don't mean just sitting here, but you're really here, and you're here as a word, going to be a word person, and you say, I'm your pastor, and you say, these are your brothers and sisters, you don't screw them over for any reason. You better watch it. Oh, you talk about getting in trouble with God.
to get off with their chain belts and their weaponry, and it's going to be a scuffle. And just one of those groups is going to walk away. Now, I'm not saying that's right. Get a hold of it. We're not into violence, and we're not into forsaking our families. But I am trying to show you when you get in a covenant, it is the most sacred, most holy, most powerful thing. And when I said to Jesus, yes, I'm going to do what you told me to do, that means he comes first. He comes first. Do you listen to what I'm saying here? He comes first. Diana comes second. comes first when it comes to you. So we're going to do what he says, and, and if you decide you need to do something different, well, you just have to do what you need to do, whatever. I'm just trying to avoid uh, avoid uh, problems, and I'm trying to help you to see the preciousness of being in a covenant. And yeah, we're people, we're all different, we have different personalities, some get along better than others, but learn to get along good. Learn to be knit to one another and appreciate the value of the person that has the strength that maybe you don't have. Some of you are just smarter than others. Some of you have more something than others. Some of you have more of other something than the other people. Don't go putting yourself down. Hallelujah. There's no premium on being smart. If, if, you're, if you had, I had a smart person and a spiritual person, this is the one I go to every time. <laughs> I want to be with somebody that's spiritual. Not trying to be, not trying to con me, laugh like, well, yeah, I know all that stuff. But really spiritual. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. All right. Let's go, let's go over here to Isaiah 54. I've got a few minutes. You guys just pull everything out of me. You just pull it out. I just want to convey to you that God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. You're not going to do anything to make Him quit loving you. You may you may violate some things. You don't get in some situations that He's not too proud of you about. We've all been there. Said, "Boy, I shouldn't have thought that. Shouldn't have done that. Forgive me." But He still loves us. He is totally committed. The Bible says he's engraved us in his hands. I don't know how he did that, but it says he did, and I believe it. Hallelujah. I mean, here's this thief on the cross. He's been a thief. He's been crucified because he's a thief. <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy had the most utmost integrity here. And yet he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sure will. Didn't say it. I think Jesus smiled at him. I don't know if he can see it, but he didn't look like a man. But I think Jesus probably said a little more to him than that. Let him know, yes, sir, I'm going to receive you. They caught the woman caught in adultery. She may have been half clothed, threw her down in the dirt like she's the scum of the earth. And Jesus started writing in the dirt, and I don't know what he wrote. He may have been writing the guy's names that had been committing adultery with her. He said, let the first one that's without sin, you cast the first stone. Yeah, you're going to be legalistic about it. Okay, then let's let the one who's without sin pick up the first stone and chuck it on her. And he started, it said the eldest walked away first because they're smarter. The other's trying to figure out how can I throw a rock and still be right. I just 
just know how people think. You can't. Not with that comment on the front end of it. <clears throat> See, sometimes people think they've got so much figured out. And here she says, this is my point, he was solely committed to this woman. And you know, she had never been talked to like that. She'd been used and abused. And that's all men wanted her for. Here's a man, Jesus, defending defending her honor when she didn't deserve any. Oh, wait, what a savior. But this is the kind of thing the covenant's all about. I, I think if he had on something, he probably threw it over her, Jesus, or got one of his disciples, put something over her here and let her feel like she's clothed up a little bit here. No, but he's gone. Jesus went to the home of somebody who had a bad reputation. And the Pharisees, the most religious cats around, all the preachers from the big seminaries and the big churches came in and said, well, doesn't he know she's a whore? What are you doing eating with people like this? They're challenging. They're on the word, they think. They're legalistic. They're, they're, they're attackful. They're judgmental. You know why you're so judgmental? You don't spend much time with God. Now, you can act sweet around me all you want, but what you think privately and what God knows you think about the way you talk at home to your mate about things you've got an opinion about, uh-uh, better watch it. You're in company. <laughs> what was I saying before that? Oh, so he says to them, well, you know, common hospitality would mean somebody should have washed my feet, took care of me. She did all that. Then he makes this profound statement, he who has been forgiven much loves much. In other words, you guys are so arrogant, snotty, and high-headed about your own whatever you think you've got. This lady needs help here. What's your problem? Now, he wasn't hanging out at her house all the time. You know, we don't encourage people to go down pass out tracks at the topless bar. Get a revelation, folks. You can't handle that. You can handle the truth like that. I'm not going to go down there and do it either. That's the wrong place to be. Maybe catch them when they get out and they got some clothes on. But don't tell me you're down there passing out tracks trying to win them to Jesus catching a peep show. Don't play me for a sucker. I even do you won't believe how people think. You know, I know you think that you've got it all together sometimes, but people sometimes sit next to you or they're not here now. A guy came and his wife was insecure and I sat him down and talked to him. Where do you work? I work down at a bar. What kind of a bar? Strip club. I said, my God, what's the matter with you, sir? No wonder your wife feels insecure. You're watching women take their clothes off on stage. I know there's children here tonight. Tell your children to stay away from that stuff. Don't say, I wish you hadn't said that. Say, I'm thankful my pastor said publicly we shouldn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, of course, they got divorced later. Well, I said, no wonder she, you need to repent. Tell her you're sorry. And he said, well, I make a lot of money. I said, no matter how much money you're making, sir, you're, are you a believer or not? Are you a believer or not? Yeah, I'm a real pastor. I'm a real man of God. You, you know, when getting settings like that, I just put it on them. I had some other couple I had to deal with, too, about some weirdness. And I said, I can't believe it. Your wife told me and Donna something I want to ask you about. Is this right? What? And he said, yeah. I said, what is the matter with you? You're insane. Well, I'll 
say anything wrong with that. I do, and so does the Bible. Repent. And he left and left, and his stupid wife followed him out of the church. She deserves stuff like that. She's going to follow a nut. See, her first covenant should have been to Jesus, not to a pervert. You better hear me well. This stuff crops up all the time, uh, sometimes more dramatic than others. And we want to don't make it feel like everybody's weird, but most people are weird in some area. May not be that one. We'll find your number before we get through with this series. <laughs> Just teasing. But think about your covenant. See, listen, if the man had said, you know, you're absolutely right, Pastor. Nobody's ever confronted me about this, and I was asking my wife to do things that I'm ashamed of. Play for us. And really run and help. I would have jumped in there, hook, line, and sinker, and do all I could to restore that man. But when people are arrogant, the attitude, and take, and, and I showed them in the Word. I, I got my Bible. I said, did you ever read this? Yeah. Can you not see that you're violating this? With your own wife? Well, I just think that's my prerogative. I said, I think you're possessed of the devil. And I'll knock it out of you if you want it. And if you don't, then I can't help you. But I don't want you around here anymore if you're going to live like this, knowing what I know. Hallelujah. See, see, now listen to me. I'm in covenant with God, but I'm in covenant with you. And if I find out things that are necessary to confront and people won't repent, then I have to say, you're not welcome here anymore because I cannot trust you around other human beings and around my children. And I might say your children. Anyway, praise the Lord. You guys got me wound up. It's just barely out of 1 Samuel 18. Go to Isaiah 54. Did you turn there yet? Let me show you something here. Verse 4. Fear not. Oh, I like that already. That's my covenant partner telling me, Don't be afraid, Michael, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither shalt thou be confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of your youth. Hey, praise God. And shall not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. Now, here's the point I'm making. All I had to offer him was shame and guilt from my past when I came to him, and he still made me righteous. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians here, chapter 5. I just got a minute or two more, but you guys have just blessed me tonight, being good receivers, and I'm going to pray for a few people. I know one person asked me to pray for them tonight, maybe some more, but there's a big exchange. I think the new, I don't know if it's Hillsong or Hillsong tape or thing says, uh, Beautiful exchange. Thank you, Jordan's helping me preach. I need some help right now. I guess I'm trying to bring it up in the hard drive. And, and it is a beautiful. All I had to offer him, you know, like the old song kind of. We think. I mean, you know, when I first came to him, was brokenness and pride. Is that what it says? All I had to offer him was. What is it? Okay. What did I have to offer him though? Brokenness and pride, that he made everything beautiful in my life. Don't tell me you don't know that song. Tell me you old saints. Huh? Brokenness and strife, thank you. But you made something beautiful out of my life. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but you made. 
Jesus this week. <laughs> I got somebody give me the name of the song, but you're not helping me. Come on, without teasing you. Uh, I think that's the name where she thought it was, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, making fun of you, Christy. You're one of my favorite ameners. That's why you're on the front row. Help me here. But notice here, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us. Here's this beautiful exchange. Who knew no sin. In other words, Jesus didn't know any sin. He didn't commit any sin. But he was made to be sin for me. That and you, for that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words... I came to him and all I had was my sin, my sin nature, my, my guilt, my shame, my weirdness, all the past of stuff that I'd done and thought and wanted to do because I had the nature of the devil in me. I remember 1 John 3 says we're either children of the devil or children of God. So, But he said, well, come on over here on this side. Let me make you a new creature. And let me give you this robe of righteousness. I want to put this on you, son. There we go. Now you're right. See, I didn't realize that because we didn't teach a lot on that in the church I was in when you first get saved, but that's what he was saying. Let's go to one last scripture here. I've just got a minute. Isaiah 61. I can tell this series might last for a year. <laughs> yeah, I'll sell you the footlocker and the 175 tapes. We'll go with for $755. Okay. Isaiah 61, I'll just leave you with this tonight. I hope you've gotten something out of it. And you know here, remember the guy working at the wrong place of employment, if he'd have just said, well, Pastor, I, did, I see what you're saying, because I explained it to him in front of his wife. If he had just said, well, you're right, I'm making, now, what was he doing? Does anybody know what he was doing? I was, don't yell it, I'm going to tell you so you won't feel foolish if you say the wrong thing. He made money. God, and he was a weirdo, and he had some perversion in him. You can't go be in places like that and around other people that are doing things like that and think that's normal and then come home and be with your wife. I mean, that's not right. And I, that's just what he told me he did. God knows what he really did. See, I realize with people, I know they mean well, but they're just not well sometimes. They only tell me what they feel they can allow themselves for me to mess with. There's always something else usually under another stone that they won't open up and let me look into. I remember one person I brought him in when Sean was with me. I said, I'd like to ask you a couple questions. I already knew what was going on. I knew by the Spirit and I knew by other authorities. And uh, I said to them, Is there, you know, we have some pertinent questions. No, 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 no. Three or four times in that conversation, I said, is there anything else you'd like to tell me before we let you go? Anything that we could help you with, maybe? No, doing great. I said, well, you're not doing great because you already lied to me. And you lied to some people out in the community about something I didn't say. And da, da, da. And, you know, after they left, I just decided, you know, I prayed about it. And I just called them and said, you just stay gone because I don't like you anymore. Get ready to get genuine, then they wouldn't talk. But right now, you violate.
this is really serious and isn't. I'm going to take you into something later this year about covenant relationships with people that's stronger, as strong as this or more so. So just be ready. It's going to help us all. It's going to help us all just to understand how much God loves us. Hallelujah. Actually, I didn't tell him I didn't like him. Let me preface that. I just said I didn't say I didn't like. Him. I just said I can't trust you, so I just like him to stay gone. Uh, now we don't want to mention him. Oh yeah, there was a lot of legal things involved here. Some things that we could have done. All right, Isaiah sixty-one ten. Look at this verse, and I'll let you go home in a minute. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Sure do love you, Father. Yeah, I got it. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's not what that said. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. Oh, praise God. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Can you see that? In other words, he said, I'm going to rejoice in God because he's clothed me with everything I need to be presented in the right spirit with God the Father. Hallelujah. You know, we might not have access to every situation in the earth, but we have access to the throne of grace. See, there's a great exchange took place when we got born again. And there's much more. You know, we were, we were sick, certainly sick spiritually, if nothing else, and he made us whole. Some were sick physically, and he's provided healing in his covenant. Some were sick mentally, as some of the people I've talked discussed tonight. And God would have healed their souls and made them normal. And some were sick emotionally, thinking that the way they're living is okay. That's no big deal, but it's a big deal here. I mean, even the Bible tells us, here's another thing. You know, I know I'll cut off on this tonight, but I guess you need to hear it. Don't, don't act uh, wrongly in Colossians 3 and 5 in the lust of concupiscence. In other words, when you greet one another and greet one another, you've got you to gotta treat the opposite sex correctly. I had, to, I had to get a couple guys in my office in the last 10 years, and I said, you know, you're, you're, you're not hugging women correctly. And if you don't stop it, I'm going to throw you out of the church. Maybe you didn't know what you're doing, but I think you knew exactly what you're doing. And I've got reports on you from several people that are eyes for me when I'm not there. And a lady that's complained, so you either straighten up right now, or you just leave right now. That's fine with me. Or you want me, I'll call your wife and tell her about it. And you know they didn't even repent? Smart aleck, arrogant, prideful men trying to show them the error of their way. You know, when you hug a lady, you hug her from your side unless she's your wife. You don't, you don't be doing stuff that's inappropriate. That's what the Bible's saying. You're in covenant with somebody, but you're not in that level of covenant unless you're married to them. We need to get that straight. We need to, I'm talking to all of you. See, because of that, I'm in covenant, so I love Frank and Linda. I would never uh, uh, approach Linda in an incorrect way or any other woman because that would be a violation of covenant. No, 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 I want to, but, I mean, that would be a violation of covenant. We need to treat each other with respect. 
I had a lady at a prayer line. She got so excited, her spine got healed. I think I was over at Pastor Mark's church. And before I knew it, then she had her hands around my neck. She was going for full throttle. Really? A grown woman. And I, I grabbed her arm and said, wait, oh, oh, there's still a foot between them. I said, oh. I said, I know you're excited and you're thankful to be healed. Jesus just healed you. I'm just the vessel. But that wouldn't be right for you to proceed any further. I love you. Lift your hands and let's praise him. Just got everybody's attention on God. And then she went back and sat down. But see what I'm saying? See, we're talking about a lot of these issues because they're covenant-minded issues. And you've got a lot of people that just float around think they can do anything they want, any way they want. Nobody's going to tell me nothing. Well, I may not be able to make you not do something, but you need to listen to me for respect reasons and for the covenant reasons that we are in this together. And remember, we're in it to bless one another, not to violate each other. We need to really have respect for one another. And even in some settings, and Donna can tell you, if I'm counseling somebody and they get into a level that I don't think is appropriate, I say, stop, 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 I don't want to hear any more of this. Stop it. You've been present when I've said that. I've heard enough. <laughs> I don't want my mind to have to be on what you've already said. <laughs> That's enough. If people just come to church and let their man of God preach to them and then say, God, you know, my pastor showed me it's in here. I need to live in this. This is covenant talk. This is my father. <laughs> he wants my life to, he wants me to have a long life. He wants my family blessed. He wants my body blessed. He wants my mind. He's not trying to take something away from me. He's trying to give everything to me. think some things that I would say during this series, just give me another few minutes, might, might be kind of picky to you, but, but you know, when you think about covenant, it shouldn't be. You know, if you really had, you know, and of course, most of you do do this already, you're good about not doing this, rather. But, you know, when I have somebody in my church that they've been with me 12 years, and they're never, ever on time, that says to me, I'm not real important to them, neither's God. And they don't have little babies at home. You know, somebody's got three or four little babies. You can understand that happening periodically. Somebody has an accident in their diaper or different things happen or something gets knocked over or trying to get three or four kids in the car at one time. And the husband's not even there, you know, because he's got to go do something real spiritual. Anyway, moving right along. Preaching real good here. powerful thing you ever learned from the Bible and from me. Most powerful. Every relationship you have is valuable to you as a covenant relationship. So the more you learn how to operate in it correctly and to be willing to comply with it, the better you'll be. Not only with God, but just humanity. That doesn't mean everybody's going to like you. It doesn't mean everything's going to uh, go your way in the, in the natural, but God will supernaturally supersede everything that wants to go a different way and begin to bring it back in favor. You know, I went to a restaurant today. You know, I told you about my watches. I mean, I just feel like God's overtaking me. I went to a restaurant today and ordered a steak. I don't eat steak like I used to, but occasionally I do. 
And my wife ordered a steak, and it was a $40 bill, and we even got dessert. And uh, the steaks were maybe not cooked to perfection, but we ate there. A lot of wasn't a big deal to us. We said, listen, we cook them, take them, cook them back a little more, and we're sorry if we told you wrong. We apologized to them. All of a sudden, the manager came over and said, I'm really sorry about this. And, and, he, and he took them, and then he brought them back. And then I was looking at the dessert menu, and he said, you see something you like? And I said, yeah, I was thinking, I never have bought dessert there in my entire life. But I wanted dessert today, so I got dessert. And the waiter, that I said, finally, I said to the waiter, could you bring us, you know, the bill when you get a moment, please? And he came back to the table and said, well, the managers took care of it. They just wanted to bless you because they didn't. And you eat here a lot, he says. I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, you know, we wanted to first take our money out and make them take it. And I said, well, tell Tim to come see me, will you? And he went around the corner and met the manager. And I said, we really appreciate that. He said, no problem. I said, I know you guys are in a lot. We just wanted to bless you. We're sorry. I said, well, it wasn't a problem. We would have been glad to pay. But I said, I do a lot of mission work in Mexico. And they say, yo recibo, which means I receive. I just want you to know I receive it.
speak healing to this throat, whatever's causing that to be gone from him. In the name of Jesus. Everybody lift your hands a minute. This is part of our covenant. We need to have it. Father, we pray healing to that toe, and we commend this ear to be healed by the power of God in Jesus' name right now. And we thank you for it. Hallelujah. There it is. Power of God on you. Now, you want to be sure if you have people that, or yourself, you have ear problems. Uh, Reverend Ricky's company prayed for my ear just recently, and it's been fixed. It's in the process of being restored. And he, we saw deaf ears open down there in Mexico, but he's prayed all over the United States. He travels for 